This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to a post-game edition of Ots and Audibles. I'm Matt Prey, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. It is 2.14 a.m. Sunday morning when we are recording a 20-17 victory by the Oregon Ducks over the Utah Utes. Um, it's late. Uh, it's cold, but uh, this Oregon football program is on fire right now because they kind of, I don't know if saved their season's the right term, but they avoided a, a disastrous collapse of a season after losing to Washington, Bo Nix getting hurt, Alex Forsyth getting hurt, Ryan Walk getting hurt. It looked like this was a game that they would lose. They didn't, uh, and everything is back on the table. For Oregon, they have the Rose Bowl. They have the Pac-12 championship game. When and you're in next week. Um, the Rose Bowl is still on the table for Oregon. A top 10 finish in the country is still on the table when you look across what happened in college football this season, this week. Um, this was probably, guys, in my opinion, one of the better games we've seen at Autzen the last couple of years. And maybe one of the more gritty wins we've seen an Oregon football team win when everything was stacked against them, as Bo Nix said, and yet they found a way to get a victory when few people, I was one of them, thought they would win. Congratulations, Matt, on your correct prediction. <laughs> There's a lot didn't of didn't play out the way I thought it would. No, it didn't play the way most people thought it would. And I think it was a game where I know we kind of all turned to each other a couple times. Like, this is just a wild football game. I mean, how many seemingly momentum-shifting plays took place that didn't actually end up being that big of momentum shifts? I mean, in terms of turnovers going one way, then going the other. In terms of big – I mean, it looks like Oregon is, is in position to maybe put the game away midway through the fourth quarter on that long pass to Dante Thornton. And then the next play is arguably the worst throw Bo Nix has made in – the whole season maybe in terms of just like the decision on it. Also an incredible play by Clark Phillips and that ball had to travel a really long distance. And as Jared pointed out in post game, sitting up in the press box kind of gets lost the moment. But if Cam McCormick doesn't kind of hit the ankle there of Phillips, that might've gone for a pick six and, and the game might go completely differently, but so many just kind of in the moment things that took place here that um, felt big in the moment and didn't end up being big. And then a bunch of things that obviously ended up being kind of determining here. And I think, we can kind of go – I think there's two elements that you can kind of point to for Oregon's win. And the first is Bonex playing. Bonex playing at, I think, a remarkably high level, all things considered, considering this is a guy who basically didn't practice much this week. Um, and then the other one being the defense where, you know, as you, you know, 
both turns in a pretty heroic effort. It's not the best. The offense really kind of sputtered throughout the second half, only scored three points. And yet those three points are enough because the defense forces a bunch of turnovers. Keith th- fourth down stops. I mean, you, we were looking at it afterwards. Utah still eight of 15 on third down. Yeah. Not great. And Matt, you, you're a 60% conversion percentage for the opponent. Might have hit. Got pretty close. Oh, if it didn't. Yeah, is it 56% or something like that? Uh, but the fourth down stops, they really kind of stiffened up when it was necessary to the stops. Um, I just think a really impressive effort. Um, and if you want to single out someone in defense, there's a bunch of names that should be – I mean, I think you can talk about the whole defensive line. You can talk about several guys individually. But I think just the one that I think I want to start by acknowledging and then we can kind of jump through a bunch of other stuff is just Bennett Williams as well, uh, of a guy who we were very critical of after the game against Washington and then throughout the last week played like an, a man possessed today, 14 tackles, two interceptions. Second one, I won't say sealed it because like I said, there were plenty of plays that felt like they sealed the game that didn't because the defense still had to come out and get another fourth down stop on the drive after, after the offense couldn't move it. But I was really impressed with him. And, and for somebody who had had again, a week where he was the subject of a lot of kind of criticism and second guessing on some of the, the plays he made for him to come out and play and be such a, you know, uh, integral part of the outcome was a lot of credit to to Bennett. This was a very strange game. Uh, it, it it wasn't nearly as I don't know. I, I I don't think it was nearly as exciting as Washington last week, just because of that third quarter where everybody went nuts with long touchdown passes. But this had some really exciting moments in some very interesting ways. I mean the 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 fact that two turnovers happened like back-to-back twice in this game where Dante Thornton fumbles and then Cameron Rising is picked on either the next play or like two plays later. Um, and then that's like basically that same uh, same same thing happens later in the game was another weird moment. Um, I thought both teams played really well. I thought both teams had some struggles on offense, passing more so for Utah and rushing more so for Oregon. Like if I told you guys going into this at Oregon would run for uh, 64 yards, sack adjusted, and win. I don't think anybody would be buying that because I certainly wouldn't. And the entire night, um, Oregon is unable to run because Utah has just been stacking the box, and they know that Nix isn't an, isn't at all an option to really run. And he, he only runs once, basically, the entire game, and that's in the final third down conversion. So they save their, the best for the very last. Smart by Kenny Dillingham there. Um, I don't even know where to go. Just like what Eric talked about, uh, there were so many plays where you're like, oh, that's a momentum killer. Or that's a momentum swinger. And then four or five plays later, it just something else would happen where it's like, wow, I don't know how Utah is going to come back from this. Or like, I don't know how Oregon's going to hold on to this one. And then, boom, just another momentum play. It was, it was very strange, but this is two back-to-back weeks that Oregon has played in really tight, closely contested contests against, you know, top ranked teams in the country at home. Um, two wonderful football games the last two weeks as well. Um, really impressed that Oregon was able to come out with this, really impressed with their defense overall. Um, Cameron Rising throwing three interceptions is was another shocker that I didn't foresee. Um, really thought that that the secondary played well. Bennett Williams, like Eric mentioned, uh, Casey Rogers, Brandon Dorless were were phenomenal on the interior. Um, just an overall really good game from Oregon. I'm, I'm very surprised by the by the result being this low scoring. But um, 
yeah, crazy, crazy game. Honestly, I think that's the only way to describe it for me. I think this game will etch Bo Nix into some Morgan lore, some Morgan glory. Um, Does Willis Reed moment? Obviously, like if he lost, like no one would remember the the fact that he was hurt and you know what he did and how impressive it it was. But the fact that Oregon wins and he gutted out this performance, and it was very evident after the first drive that hey, he it was more maybe more serious than Dan Lanning's positive remarks on Monday led us on to be. Um, and Dan even came out and said that like post game, like I he wasn't sure early in the week if Bo would get be able to play, and then Bo talked about it too. And this, these are the types of things, these are the performances that I, I think etch you into history where he's only been here at, at Oregon for a season. And yet he's going to have as much of a, a, a love by the Oregon fan base, if not more than someone like Vernon Adams, where he was at Oregon for one season and yet he's revered as one of the best quarterbacks to play at Oregon in the modern era, you know, 2000 and beyond. And that's kind of what's happened here with Bo Nix. I, I, I'm just, you saw what he, he could and couldn't do. I mean, he made a couple throws, I think in the first half across the field to Terrence Ferguson on a scramble and he barely got it there. Ferguson dove by the sideline and caught it. Um, and that was a throw all year long. He successfully made, he made an interception um, that Jared brought up in the fourth quarter. Uh, it was a risky throw, but it was one in which he he'd made before and completed, and that one was intercepted. He he could not run any of the zone read option stuff. I mean, just getting one yard on that third and one at the very end of the game took like everything he had, and yet he gutted it out. I, that's just that's the type of stuff that you know in twenty years people will be talking about and. I think it's pretty cool. I had a conversation with someone in our network um, earlier this week, and he was asking if Bo would play, and it's telling it's up in the air. We don't really know yet. And he was, you know, just saying like he really hopes Bo could play because this is just a massive game for Oregon. It's a massive game for the Pac-12, and he really liked Bo. And just it would be really crappy to see his career end the way it did against UW with an injury. Maybe he doesn't play the last couple of weeks, and. I, just knowing everything he went through at Auburn, I think it's it's a pretty awesome story to see him come back and kind of gut through this and and put forth a performance that you know normally it's like hey, Bo threw for two hundred and eighty five yards and and one touchdown and he had an interception. That's not normally like a game changing, career defining performance, but this is against the opponent that they played, the defense that they have, the reputation of Utah. With everything that was at stake, you can't say enough about what Bo did uh, and what this entire team did in this win. No, you make good points, and and I think one of the thing that stands out when you look at kind of legacies, and it's interesting to talk about Bo's one season here being a legacy, but it, I think it'll be looked at one, especially if they finish this off. If they go win a conference championship, let's say they go win a Rose Bowl, who knows? Like, I think the odds are extremely minuscule, but like the season could get wonky and maybe Oregon somehow sneaks back in the college football playoff. I think it's like 1%, but I'm just putting it out there. Things got weird today and some doors kind of opened slightly. But my point is like, 
you'll if, if they finish it off this way, you'll look back and you look at this, the numbers, which are going to be comparable with some of the best Oregon's ever had here. Um, already fairly comparable with some of the Marcus stuff, better than anything Justin did in the single season. If you just look at by the numbers, and now you'll be able to point to this game and it'll go down as you know the Bo Nix game. Even though I think you also have to acknowledge the defense played so much better than anybody expected they could um, following what we saw last week. But no, you're totally right. This was a, a legacy kind of defining game. And I think you're, you're totally correct in that years will pass and, and um, you know, Bo will come back like some of the Oregon legends player, like Clody Nato was here today and Kellen Clemens was here today and in 15 to 20 years, Bo will come back. And one of the things people talk about will be this game will be how he's how he nobody knew all week if he was going to play he plays he plays again I think a pretty remarkable game considering his health and Matt mentioned some of the throws he he struggled to make I was impressed with the by the way just the, the, how far he threw the ball vertically on basically one bad leg I mean a couple of throws to Thornton were just fantastic balls 40 so yards downfield um, but this is going to go down as a game that people will will not forget anytime soon and I think it, you know another thing is you got a sense talking to his teammates how much they genuinely care and appreciate and respect him. And I won't say that that is unique entirely, but just kind of the admiration that is in this building right now on the HTC for him is a little bit unique. You know, like when Justin Herbert was here, he was certainly beloved by his teammates. Everybody knew how talented he was. And I'm not saying like it wasn't quite this, but this even feels a little different to a certain degree of just like you hear the people talk about it. People just can't, I mean, they're so effusive in praise and, and appreciation for everything he's meant here. And especially as somebody like Herbert was in the building for three or four years, building these relationships with his teammates. Bo got here in like what, January, February. And it's, he's completely won everybody over. And, and that includes the crowd. I mean, you could see how excited they were when it was announced. He was the first quarterback on the field when he went through warmups and, um, the, the, just the reception he got even during senior day, it's, it's, it's going to go down as one of the more impressive one year runs at a school, assuming it is, he went through senior day, he could come back next year. Um, but assuming he doesn't, and this is his one year, this game is going to be something along with just the numbers and, and the, some of the team success that is going to be looked at and say, man, that, that Bo next year was, was pretty special. It was. And I think that this is, just the beginning for it because there's still Oregon State ahead of them. There's still a potential Pac-12 championship game against USC who clinched their spot in tonight. There's still a potential whatever whatever happens after that. So he's got more to add to it, and I think that's that's just the best thing possible for him because I, I think Matt, you were the one to talk about it where you know his Auburn career you know ended poorly on an on an injury note. You wouldn't want that to happen again at Oregon if this Washington moment. Um, last week were to actually end it. Um, you know, I, I think I think all of us were mildly confident that he would play. Um, I asked Brandon Dorless after the game, and he said, like, we all knew that he was going to play. You know, and, and, and listening to Dan's comments post-game and listening to Nick's comments post-game, it, did, it didn't seem like that. Nick's just talked about how he, you know, went through ups and downs this entire week where – uh, some some days it felt like he was good and it felt like um, like he wasn't back to normal, but he felt like he could go and, and was flexible enough. And then the next day or later that day, um, it just felt like, you know, like he could barely walk type of deal. So 
you know, him, him putting on this type of performance on on one good leg and um, you know throwing how many times? Thirty seven times, um, probably way more than I think all of us anticipated. You know, I think one of my keys to the game was establishing the run early. Uh, Oregon did not do that. They never established the run. They didn't do it early. They didn't do it late. They couldn't, and they had to rely on Nix and his one arm and his you know one one good leg, and it worked. And he did really well. Yeah, he had the mistake, but that's also Clark Phillips being really damn good and a, probably a projected or you know a first round pick uh, and making a great break at the ball on that play. But you know, I don't. It was a weird offensive night for Oregon, to say the least, just compared to what we have seen this season. But you know, Bo stood out there and he and he did his best and he was good and he you know proved it to his teammates. And Eric, I like that you brought up that it's a unique thing that Nix is able to have this command of the program, so to say, as a you know a one year a transfer a grad transfer. Even though yes, he has two years, it's it's interesting. I mean, Casey Rogers talked about after the game how much like respect he has for Bo, and this is a guy who was also who's also just a one year transfer who came in later into the program from Nebraska, like. Yeah, like a lot of everybody in college football who has followed it the last couple of years knows who Bo Nix is. But, you know, he, he was just was so like just profusely talked about how much he respected Bo even you know before this game and then after this game to see what he went through uh, this entire week to get prepared and get ready. So definitely a type of legacy game. Um, I think it's, you know, it's only going to be one year in Eugene most likely. So I think it'll be kind of like, if Vernon Adams were to come to a game, I think he'd have a rousing ovation. I think later down the line, if Knicks comes back, I think it'd probably be more if you were to compare the two. But I think that's the only like similar situation I could put, I could think about right now with that. And it is, you know, two thirty in the morning, so my brain's not a hundred percent. You don't think Anthony Brown would get the same reception? <laughs> well, I I didn't bring it up. You did, so. No, that's what the answer. What's more surprising is is it Oregon and Bo Nix's performance or how resilient the defense was? Like Eric, you brought up that they still gave up almost fifty over fifty percent of their third down conversions, and yet they had three turnovers and they were very timely. They had two of Utah's three trips into the red zone and with no points. Um, they had they stuffed Utah's run game. I mean, it looked like early on they weren't going to when they were getting six, seven, eight yards every time on the ground. And then all of a sudden the defensive line got pressure. I, I, I'm not sure which one is more impressive because I, I wasn't really expecting either of them. Like – I was thinking Oregon would would rely on Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington and the run game would would carry the offense because Bo couldn't do much. And then I wasn't anticipating Oregon's defense really getting many stops. It would be maybe they get lucky with a turnover, one turnover, not three. Um, the defense was tremendous in this game. And it maybe it's Utah just being a better matchup. Maybe mm-hmm. it's it's some injuries along the Utes. Maybe you know Cam Rising was wearing a, a knee brace, which he hadn't been wearing the last couple of weeks. He had suffered that knee injury earlier in the year. Um, they didn't really run him much until the very end. But the defense just 
they were maybe equally as surprising. And, you know, the individuals that were really good for Oregon were also equally surprising as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It, equally unexpected was what how I would probably phrase both of these. And, and, and really good surprises. I mean, again, to peel back the layers a little bit, not to stay on the next thing, we weren't told not to report on injuries. I guess I'll just share, like, Tuesday and Wednesday he was Uh-oh. in – I don't know. Am I breaking protocols? I don't know. Cir- circle of trust, man. Dan's going to get at us on Tuesday. Uh, we, I, mean, it is, it, I mean, this is ancient history at this point. But Tuesday and Wednesday, the guy was in uniform, and he was wearing trainers instead of cleats. But I thought he came out of Tuesday's practice in cleats when I saw. Um, so I had thought most of the week, like, it was probably trending in him going, which was also why it was difficult when people were angry at us for not reporting on what was going on. Because I was like, I think it's good news. I want to share good news. Um, but I didn't expect – he could play quite that well. And I, as Matt said, and I think Jared has said, really thought it was going to be a run game sort of night for them offensively. And so what Bogue provided was very unexpected to me. I wasn't expecting they would throw it 37 times, nor was I expecting to be as consistent throwing it. Um, in part, because I expected, and, and, and credit here, we haven't really talked about Oregon's offensive line. I, I, I thought that Utah would cause a lot of problems and potentially live in the backfield and, you know, get get to Nick's more than what one sack and a couple hurries, a couple times he had to get out of it. Um, so like that part was surprising because I thought for the offense to have success, it was going to be based upon its running backs and kind of a combination of manufacturing a running game, which Utah took away because they sold out knowing Nick's wouldn't keep it. And then defensively, like after last week, I had very little confidence, and it was it wasn't just the fact that they got stops; it was the manner in how it happened of like. How many times do they have their backs against, you know, the wall because the offense kind of wasn't able to – I mean, it felt like there were two or three instances in that second half where the offense, if they just go score a touchdown, kind of put the, – not the game totally away, but like really kind of let everybody kind of have a sigh of relief of, okay, now we've created some sort of a cushion. And they didn't do it, and yet the defense comes out and either forces a turnover on downs or a punt or or an actual interception. I mean, it just felt like that was the reaction. So I think a ton of credit to that side of the football because yeah, this is a better matchup without question. I mean, you know, kind of, I think alluded to that leading into it of like Oregon in theory, their strengths should match up pretty well with what Utah is going to try to do primarily. And they didn't stop the run entirely, but they stopped a lot of it, especially the interior stuff um, in the middle of the game. But I just, I came away thinking like, that was exactly that was exactly what the doctor ordered, right? They talk about going and getting their medicine. Um, I, I thought the response was really impressive. I've already singled out Bennett Williams. I thought he played great. I thought the defensive line, who wasn't able to get – I mean, one of the big storylines out last week was defensive line, front seven, could not get any pressure on Michael Penix. And they didn't really impact rising a ton, like a, a, certainly a little bit. I think – did they even get a – I don't know if they got a sack all night. You know, I don't think they did. But six, so six tackles for loss, and uh, two of the interceptions were results of Jordan Riley and Keon Ware Hudson, defensive linemen, uh, swatting the ball at the line of scrimmage and, and creating those turnovers. So I, I just think you can credit uh, every single level of the defense. You can credit the defensive line for uh, internal penetration on run plays, on knocking balls down that end up being intercepted. You can credit – I thought Noah Sewell played – really well still has issues sometimes getting out in space but like i thought he was really active justin flow makes a great 
uh, tackle on a tight end when the ball is deflected, which ends up being a big play because that Bennett Williams credited him that kind of he said mm-hmm. he, he well, Bennett says Bennett said he was going to go try and knock out Kincaid, but then looked and saw that Flo was doing it and it kind of freed him up to make the play. So like you know, and then the sec- secondary we've already credited Bennett. I thought he played well. I thought the corners on the outside for the most part played pretty well. Kincaid's a really tough matchup. He got his. What do you have like almost 100 yards receiving, maybe more. I think 99 on the dot. Yeah, yeah, 1199. Which is which is he's the go-to guy, but I just think in general, like a lot of credit to this defense, especially coming off a week where they were a big part of why they lost to Washington, and really had I think at least locally and those who are supporters of this team, uh, basically eliminated much of any confidence in what they were going to do. This is a confidence builder both for them, but I think hopefully at least a little bit for. Some of the fans who were kind of like, oh, this defense stinks. Not saying I not saying you forget about the Washington game, but right. you can see in a certain situation, a certain matchup, these guys can hang tough. And if Oregon does get to the conference championship game, I hate to say it, USC is much more of the Washington variety than the Utah variety, but yes. that's that's a road that will cross if they get there. Um, the next matchup against Oregon State would be in theory a little more favorable in terms of what the Beavers like to do, though. Yeah, I have. You know, I have no issue saying that this was Oregon's best defensive performance of the season. And I think it, it, you know, it'd be hard to find a game that really comes close. I mean, this is top 10 Utah. This is a team that has, um, you know, one of the better offenses in the Pac 12, averaging over 200 and I think over 210 yards a game on the ground, um, nearly 40 points a night. This is a team that put up just like a million yards against USC earlier in the season in their upset victory of them. Um, Oregon came to play. I don't know where this came from. I really don't. We haven't seen a lot like this basically all season long. Um, you know, the six tackles for loss. I mean, I think they did that against Arizona. I know that they did it against Washington State. Um, those are opponents that you would expect, but Utah is known for the physicality. They're known for their offensive line and defensive line. Um, and Oregon just kind of handled it. I was very impressed with their defensive line in this. Um, Eric talked about the secondary and, you know, outside of Dalton Kincaid, I mean, they, uh, you know, Kincaid had a hundred, basically a hundred yards of rising. It's 170 total passing yards. There were not a lot of attempts down the field for Utah's offense. Um, I like to go on PFF tomorrow and look up the average depth of target that rising through because it wasn't a lot. And I don't think Nick's is going to be that high either because they did a lot of like screen passes because they couldn't run the ball, but, I digress. Secondary played well. Linebacking core played really well. I thought Sewell had his best game of the season as well. You know, eight tackles, two tackles for loss. Um, again, they they weren't able to get real good pressure on Cameron Rising when he dropped back. No sacks, but you know, Casey Rogers and Brandon Dorla said, you know, after the game, like we need to do something even if we can't get to the quarterback. And that's why you saw the increase in pass deflected. I think they had three total, and then the two led to an interception. Um, so they were they were making their mark in there, even if they, they couldn't exactly get to rising. And I just thought that that was their best defensive performance of the season. Eric, I think I told you after the game where um, – no, I, excuse me, I told Jared Denny of On3 that the way Oregon's defense played tonight probably was how – many Duck fans, and I think us originally anticipated how this defense would look under Tosh Lupoy, under Dan Lanning, under all of these defensive guys that they brought in on staff. It was quick. 
the defensive line created pressure. Linebackers flew around the, the cornerbacks, like uh, other than Kincaid, who's a mismatch nightmare for nearly every team in the country. Um, they did their parts tonight. And maybe Oregon flips into this nickel uh, group that they have more often. But they played really well against Arizona with it. And obviously it's personnel based, but having Gonzalez, Manning, and Bridges out there might be a kind of a hidden hidden gem for them. It's two games now where they've played mostly that package and they played well. Just some thoughts, but yeah, I, I, again, really impressed with their defense. And like Eric mentioned, you know, Oregon State is a team that kind of is similar-ish to how Utah plays, but have, do not have the same quarterback as Cam, Cameron Rising. Yeah, let's take a quick break and we'll pick back up there because that's what's next, uh, a showdown with Oregon State and big ramifications that come with it. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast, um, post-game edition. We won't be on here for much longer. It's pretty late into the night, or I should say early into the morning. Um, but this win, why it's so important is it basically makes life simple for Oregon to know their, their postseason prospects. Beat Oregon State, and you're in the Pac-12 championship game for – a fourth game or for a fourth year in a row. And there's a lot to think about what's on the table for Oregon going in because look, Bonix played on Saturday. He played really good. I'll be curious to see what he's like tomorrow. How does that ankle feel? Is that, is it feel better than it did after Washington or is it feel worse? What's going to be his availability during the week? Um, that's a big question. Alex Forsyth did not play in this football game against Oregon State or against against Utah. Excuse me, his status is probably unknown for for the Oregon State game, and that's a damn shame because a he's good, b he's a guy that has dreamed of being an Oregon Duck for his life, and he's an in-state kid. He you know he's one of the ones that this game means something even more maybe than than that Washington game. Um, what's the status of Jackson Powers Johnson who? got rolled up on in the second half. And I think Jared said pregame or pre pregame pre podcast. Like, I don't think we saw him return. Um, we did see Steven Jones back on the field, which is notable for Oregon. First time he played since the first half of Eastern Washington week two, when he got hurt, um, chase Coda suited up, but did not play. Was that just for show because it was senior day or is he really close to getting back 
on the playing field. And then we didn't talk about the just, I thought, terrible targeting call on Jamal Hill, but he'll be he'll be eligible to play the full game, which is good for Oregon. Um, but that's just another guy that, that missed a majority of this game. So there's a lot of questions for Oregon just health-wise surrounding what happens for Oregon going into, into Oregon State Week. And it's a road game against a good opponent that maybe, like Jared said, Oregon matches up a little bit better with. But nonetheless, last time that they, they played in Oregon State, I think all three of us were there. Um, and it was – or maybe it was just Eric and I. And yeah, it was disastrous. You know, it was one of one of the worst showings that we've seen from an Oregon football team. That was a really weird. Yeah, we, we don't have to go. We'll talk. I'm sure about it this week. That was such a weird experience too, because it was no fans and the place was dead. And that I think I don't know. It, the, the, the lack of an atmosphere favored Oregon State in a weird way. It was the home team. Um, yeah, a lot of weird kind of things to follow again this week, and I'll be curious to see what we're allowed to talk about during the week if we kind of maintain some of the injury um, restrictions, I guess, if we're, if we're able to talk or write about any of it, or if it's kind of the same as this past week, um, because there's going to be potentially a lot of updates. There's, there's, as Matt said, a lot of guys that were not totally clear with what they can do. And obviously we expect now Bo Nix will play if he played in this game, but how healthy is he? How much of can he run? Like, will he be utilized as a, a rusher again? That's such a big part as we've just, I mean, the Oregon run game today was non-existent in, I think a big part of that was, as we've said already, Utah was just like, well, he's clearly not keeping the football. Um, so they took that, you know, they took the running back out of it and, and Oregon had a really hard time all night, really creating any chunk plays. I mean, Bucky Irving, who's been so dynamic all year had like 10 rushes for 20 yards, just by far the best the team has defended him. So a lot of things to kind of look at and to the big picture, it's late. I haven't seen if anybody's really broken it down. I'm trying to figure out this tiebreaker. I have it for you. Okay. There's what, so many options. What's um, what, what's going on the, here? I think Oregon's in really good teams. shape. Oregon's in really there's, good shape, I think, to start. Yeah. So John Wilner of the Mercury News, Pacto Hotline, basically lines out the three most realistic – scenarios um first of all usc is in it doesn't matter what happens um the rest of the uh, next season next week they're in um the three teams alive for that second spot oregon clinches with a victory at oregon state um or they lose to washington state or they lose to oregon state and washington loses at washington state one of those two scenarios happens they're in uh oregon just needs to win that's all that matters Washington, they can get to the Pac-12 championship game, but it's super complicated. They need an Apple Cup victory. They need Oregon to lose, and they need UCLA to lose to Cal. Um, Utah gets in with a win over Colorado and victories by Washington, UCLA, and OSU, which would set up a trigger for a three-team tiebreaker between Oregon, UW, and Utah. Um, But – that's it. Those are the three most likely scenarios. Um, okay. And the easiest one is Oregon win. You you win, you're in. I was I was almost going to say, like, I, I hadn't seen Wilner's tweet, but I was reading the conference tiebreak bylines, and I was kind of like, bylaws, and I was kind of like, I think Oregon almost is clinched. Like, it takes so much weird stuff for them not mm-hmm. to make it. Like, it would require 
I mean, UCLA losing to Cal is is also required. Like, even if even if Oregon loses and Washington wins, UCLA still has to lose to Cal, which I think is very unlikely. So there's a bunch of stuff that gets kind of funky here to try to kind of even turn the scales towards Washington. So not to dismiss the upcoming game, but like Oregon's in a very like I would say it's like probably 95% that they're going to make the conference championship if you were to like do some sort of math odds, which against 248 and and you can tell by the way I said math odds that I'm not thinking very clearly about my projection. Really good podcasting. Um but it's also almost 3 in the morning, so I'll uh, hopefully give me a little bit of uh leeway here. But no, I mean I, there's a lot on the table still. Um, Jared, if you don't have like anything big here, there's just one more player I wanted to shout out before we kind of wrap. Do you have yeah. anything more on this? Uh, no, just I was just gonna mention it'd be interesting to see what we can and cannot report at practice this week because there's same same situation as going into this past week. Uh, a lot of guys who are potentially questionable, pot- you know, probable, whatever you want to call it, game time decisions, as Bo Nix would call it, but um. And all the crazy ass Pac-12 ways that they, there could be a tiebreaker and whatnot because it's Pac-12. You know, there's going to be some five-team tie or something like that. But go ahead, Eric. I, I just I just realized we've gone 35 minutes, and Dante Thornton is a player who I thought again really showed up here as a guy who's been really quiet most of this season. A player who mm-hmm. going into the season, I think we all had. Like as a potential break, I think Matt he was he was Thornton your like offensive breakout guy or he I think was it Seven McGee it was one of those two you had like marked in as somebody well, the stock thing that we did I bought a lot of stock on Seven and Dante Thornton but I will argue that Thornton almost equaled his entire season total with yardage today and that's moved him way up the uh, stat list he now has three hundred and forty three yards um, receiving which is third on the team. Mm. I was just going to say, this is a guy who was like absent for most of the season, and you're going to end up getting, if you know, I'm not going to say he's going to get 151 yards every game, which is what he had tonight. And again, was, I thought, really, I mean, two, two, we have to note, two turnovers. He had to do two fumbles, but I thought he was really impressive with making some tough catches downfield. And this is going to be potentially a year where it's like one of those weird stat seasons where you end up looking up and it's like, Wait, he had 550 yards this season? Wait, he barely yeah. had any production for like half of the year, and then suddenly he finishes really strong. So but I think it's it was crucial that with Coda, again, not available, um, that they got some production elsewhere. And I thought Dante, for now two consecutive weeks, had the big touchdown, long touchdown against Washington as well. Um, just making plays downfield. They've needed someone to do that, to step in, and, and a lot of credit to him for, be, for being resilient in a way that, frankly – We've now seen two consecutive years other receivers have chosen not to be, right? Micah Pittman right. transfers, Seven McGee enters the portal all around the same time that, like, I'm not saying Dante ever questioned it or really thought about it, but all around the time now that Dante is having this big emergence is the time that those guys both said, hey, nah, it's it's not my place. I'm not getting the ball enough. I'm not happy with my situation. A lot of credit for Dante for not being one of those guys and for – now being, and I guess, and it kind of the proofs in the pudding, the fruits of his labor have, have come together as he's two, you know, has about 200 yards receiving uh, combined the last two weeks with some really big plays for the offense. He's averaging 23 yards a catch. I mean, it's 22.9, mm-hmm. but I mean, his, his breakaway speed, like he had that third down catch, I think, on like a, like a hitch route or something in the first yeah, half. Yeah, like a screen. Yeah, and he just blew right up the field. 
I mean, it's like, who are you going to take off? You're not going to take Troy. And obviously Chris is established and Chase is good. But watching his explosiveness, it's kind of like, man, I wish maybe they would have gone more four receiver sets a little bit more. But that would hurt their ability to go tempo and with the tight ends and run the ball and stuff. But, yeah, he's been impressive. That was Dante. I mean, like, I was just going to say, like, the way that he's been playing the last two weeks is how I think we envisioned him as a high school recruit. I mean, he was a top, I want to say he was like a top 80, top 90 recruit coming out of high school, um, high profile guy. And then just his physique, you know, he's six foot five. He's added muscle. You know, I think we came into fall camp looking like oh, this Dante could be a guy here. Um, and now he's coming into it. I mean, he's got to control the football. He's got to, that that's I mean he's had a fumble this the two fumbles today he, you know he almost dropped the, one of the longer passes I mean that that was part of the reason why he wasn't playing earlier was just his drops during practice he just wasn't that reliable but if he can overcome that it's huge for for Oregon that's another deep ball threat I mean Troy Franklin is the deep ball threat here Chris Hudson will get out there every once in a while but you on defense you know you're not going to come across somebody who's as fast as Dante and who's as tall as Dante and as lengthy as Dante. And, you know, if he puts those skills together, it's going to be really impressive. But um, it's a shame because his, you know, second really long catch that before the Bo Nix interception, that's going to not get nearly enough love as it should be because Bo Nix threw an interception immediately after. Um, that was a hell of a catch. You know, he adjusted to that ball midair, went from over from one shoulder, turned – he turned his head the other way, caught it just barely off the ground. Tremendous catch. Just unbelievably overshadowed by a Knicks interception immediately after. I said Willie Mays style. Is that appropriate? Yeah, 100%. It's really, really damn impressive that he was able to do that at six foot five. Yeah, he's starting to look like he's turned a corner. Uh, in today's day and age of college football, you you just hope that he's had a, a positive experience this season and he's on the team next year because I think if he is, yeah. he's poised to have probably a, a breakout year again. Now, we said that this year, but I feel like it's pretty likely next season. Um, but we've still got a lot to left to play for Oregon this season. We've got Oregon State. Um, by the time this podcast is out and you listen to it Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, we might have the kickoff time. Be cool. Uh, probably 12.30 or 7.30 in the evening. Let's pray it's a 12.30 kickoff uh, in Corvallis. And if they win that one, they go to Las Vegas on a quick turnaround for that Friday 5 p.m. kickoff, which would be against USC. So you've got a lot left, even with two games left to play. One game for sure. Uh, for Oregon this season. Until we talk to you on Monday with our mailbag, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.